internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel to telecommuting from home to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Frankie Picasso and we're going to talk today about goals. Well, we're really going to talk about designing your best life and who's really in charge because when I started building my business for the first time, I bought every goal setting book under the sun. And there's some really good ones that we're going to talk about today. Brian Tracy's goals, how to get everything you want faster than you ever thought possible. We'll talk about the magic lamp goal setting for people who hate setting goals. And we're going to talk about your best year ever, this five-step plan for achieving your most important goals by Michael Hyatt. All these books are available. A lot of them are on Kindle unlimited. Um, I really struggled a lot, Frankie, when I first designed my business and designed my life because I realized I wasn't in charge. My clients were. Mm. Oh, you want to meet with me 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, London time, that's, you know, 11 p.m. Sure, I'll get up. Sure, I'll get up at 2 in the morning. Sure, I'll, I'll run from soccer to, you know, they, they literally ran me around the block. Yeah. And I felt I was working all the time. But I also wasn't getting everything done, so I never had that like workaholic satisfaction of looking back and going, oh, isn't this wonderful? And then I would take naps in the middle of the day and sleep and miss meetings. I mean, I was a big, I was a mess, but you know, because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to set goals. I didn't know even what success looked like. Well, it sounds like you didn't know how to set boundaries. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> more a boundary issue than a goal setting issue. Uh, because when you let other people take charge of your life, then it really is about boundaries. Um, your, you know, your goals are, are in what you want to achieve um, is a roadmap. And I know that, you know, and I know that, you know, you do that very, very well because you've done mind mapping and, and maps sure. and things like that. I know that you do that. Um, and you know what you're really good at and you know what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. And so how do we get there? And like, I mean, a, a goal setting book for people who don't like to set goals just sounds like, um, you know, you're going to make another name for something that you actually have to do. Because if you don't know where you're going, if you don't, if you're just driving aimlessly and you don't know where you're going, then you're going to end up someplace that you have no idea. Um, and that's, that can be okay. Cause some people really like that. I'm kind of one of those people that kind of like that. Uh, but if you want to actually be somewhere and it'd be someplace at a certain time, you kind of have to know where you're going and how you're going to get there. Um, you know, there's a saying that, that uh, how does it go? Something about um, a, a goal is just a daydream and put you, until you put a date to it. And yeah. that's really true, right? Until you say, yep, you know, I really want to be a doctor. I really want to be a doctor. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? And when are you going to do that by? And yes. so, you know, until you say, okay, yep, you're right. I'm going to start school in 2019 and, and 20, you know, 25, I'll be a doctor or whatever the case may be. And this is how I'm going to do it. That's your goal setting. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be a doctor. You're not going to be, you might be something, but you're not going to be something that you know about yet. <laughs> well, right. 
No, I mean, life will just drift you like a boat aimlessly in the ocean, right? That's where mind mapping, you know, and I use Simple Mind and a couple other mm-hmm. mind map apps on my phone helped me a lot, Frankie, because I had a goal in mind. And then when I mapped it out, you know, like I did my, my whole mind map of like, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to set, you know, how am I going to actually get this? How am I going to how am I going to keep it going? How am I going to get to completion? You know, when you do a mind map with some of this stuff, there were times that I mind mapped out a book that I thought was a great idea. And at the end of the mind map, after I mapped it all off, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was lazy or didn't, you know, didn't want to put the work in, but I didn't want to do it. Like I looked at it and I thought, do I want to be known for all this? Do I want to make this my focus? Do I want to make this my priority? No, I really don't. Right. And that's, that's, you know, something that you, I would encourage everybody to, to figure out for themselves. Where do you want to put your energy and what is it that you really want to accomplish? And because, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of external factors that get affected as, as a mom, as a single mom, you're a single mom and I'm a mom, grandmother, you know, our, our energies get focused in a certain direction, but other people are, have the fallout for that. And they're going to be the losers on our time. They're going to be the losers on, you know, uh, maybe the dinner you didn't make tonight or the laundry you didn't get in or whatever the case may be. And we all recognize that some things have to suffer if we want to achieve, you know, big goals, let's say. Um, But at the end of the time, you know, you have to say, is it worth it? Is it worth it for my children not to see me or not to have the benefit of all my time or whatever the case might be, right? Right. And that's when you mind map that thing and you said, no, it's not worth it. No. And I, you know, because we're all given the same 24 hours. That's the thing yeah. about goal setting. You know, there's a lot of neat things in these books, you know, and I, I've read all of them and I, I really like, you know, some of them and they're, you know, they give you these five step plans or they give you these acronyms. I don't know why everybody needs an acronym today. The magic lamp has the lamp, lock on, act, manage your process and persist. I can't keep the acronyms straight. Yeah. And I've worked with the military for like 25 years. So. Yeah. And when I, when I, I worked with the government too, and when I went in there, I, I got a book and I just, it was like a lexicon of acronyms. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm an acronym hell. I don't, you know, everybody's using them. They talk in acronyms. They don't even, it's like code. And, and until you, you understand the secret code, you know, you're not, you're not understanding anything. Um, they're supposed to help you, I guess, you know, remember, but they don't. <laughs> no, and I think the the biggest thing for me for goal setting Frankie was um to focus on and choose a goal. Yeah. You know, because you know, you could make a new goal every day on every aspect of your life. You could have new fitness goals, you could have new work goals, you could have new income goals, you could have new um sleep goals. You know, like everything is a goal these days, like goal, 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 goal. But what I found was when I chose to have a goal, Frankie, that was a nebulous outcome, mm-hmm. all of a sudden things started to to change for me because my goal went from having a certain income to driving a certain car to having a certain lifestyle to doing a certain business to loving happiness. Mm-hmm. My goal is to love and love others. My goal is to be happy every day with what I'm doing then all of a sudden all these books blew out of the water. Cause how do you measure that? Right. How do you measure happiness? Yeah. I had that job actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had this, I actually had that job. It was called special advisor for spirit. And it was really about how do we make 60,000 employees happy and how do you know it? And so it was, 
you know, for, for somebody who is an engineer or who has that kind of very, um, the mind that you have, that you have to really do measurement in a, in a certain way, it's, this is not for them. But right. if you can, if you can take that soft skill, let's say, and say, people are saying hello, they didn't used to do that. Or people are smiling. They never did that. Or people come to work on time. They didn't used to do that. Or they're, they're not leaving early anymore. They didn't used to do that. Then you can say, you know what? Goal accomplished. We made people happier because they're coming to work and they're, they're doing their job and they're doing it with a smile. And, and they're relating it out to their colleagues where before they didn't do that. So that is a performance measurement, but it's a different kind. And so you have to be flexible in that, in that measurement and say, yeah, you know what? I achieved that goal. I achieved that goal, and I, and I firmly believe that I did achieve that goal, let's say. Um, but if your goal is to be happy, then you have to say no and set boundaries to the things that don't make you happy. And so it's going to be, you know, do I need that extra client? Well, it's an extra, you know, X thousands of dollars, but what's that, how's that going to affect me in my day? How's that going to affect my next couple of weeks or month or whatever? Will I be happy or won't I be happy? Is the extra money going to make me happier than the time spent on them and being, you know, aggravated or bored or whatever the case may be? <laughs> and, and, you know, that only you can answer that. Frankie, I want to talk about setting boundaries because that is at the heart of goal setting because if you you can have all the goals you want in the world and I used to have really big goals but I would let my clients run me around town so I never really got to my goals what does boundary setting look like I mean I hear those words and I know boundaries are like guardrails like on the road so you don't veer off and you know you don't crash into oncoming traffic but what does that look like with people like what what is a boundary you know like work boundaries what does that look like well even even a work boundary yeah I mean you know what as as a coach I would I would have a boundary letter, let's say, and say, okay, you, you, you can email me after, you know, seven o'clock. I don't want you to call me. You can email me. You can email me three times a week for our monthly contract or whatever it is, but I don't, you know, you can't call me every day. You can't cause that's, you're not paying for that service, let's say. Right. So, you know, I need to have my time and I like my time. So my time after seven o'clock is my time. Nobody bothers me. Right. If it's an emergency, send me an email and I will decide if it's an emergency or not. You know, but at, so these are boundaries. These are rules that you get to set up for you and your clients to say, this is how I'm going to live my life and have my work life be impacted by you or not impacted by you. Right. So that you can, you can feel good about you and, the, and, and going to work that day and know that, that you're going to give them 110% during the active time that you're giving your clients. But after, after hours, no, you're not. That belongs to somebody else. Well, and that's, I think that's a really important thing to talk about in an era of texting and cell phones and immediate responses. You know, I've actually let clients go, good playing clients, because they wanted me to be available at their drop of their hat. Right. And that didn't work for me. You know, there was a point in my life that that would have been exciting and fun, but you know, two kids later, a mortgage and, you know, 40 plus years, you know, I need my sleep. Yep. No kidding. Like when I first worked for the government, my boss came to me, he said, here's your cell phone. Here's your pager. Here's your this. And I go, I don't need all that. He goes, yes, you do. Cause I'll just call, I might call you at 4am. I said, don't call me at 4am. I won't answer. (laughs) I won't answer. (laughs) I'll be at work at six. Don't call me at four. You know, I mean, it's crazy that they expect 
people expect you to be available to them 24-7. Right. You don't have to buy into that. You can say no. And you are respected when you say no. And right. people get that. You know, people go, oh, I have to, I have to. They're going to fire me. They're going to fire. No. They may not fire you. And they may. And if they, and they do, may. But who cares? It's not the place for you. It's not the place for you. And it's just like I said, don't clock watch me. You know what? If I work from six to two, or I work from nine to five, or I work from seven to 10, if you just say, here's a deliverable, what day do you need this by? When do you want this on your desk? Leave me alone. You'll have it on, on that day. And when they learn that they can rely on you. Right. Because it's a you, trust thing. It's a trust thing that you're going to have that on their desk. They don't have to micromanage you. They don't have to call you. They don't have to do things that that project is going to be there well and good. Then that is, you know, that, that relieves you of so much pressure and in your boundaries, right? Right. Because I don't want somebody going, oh, she's sitting at her desk. I'm flexible. I can use a cell phone. I can get on the computer. I can do all kinds of ways to do my job and to get the things that you need. And I do not have to sit at a desk so that you can look at me. Right, right. Well, and you know, one of those things about that anxiety is like when you have an anxiety-driven spouse or an anxiety-driven um, business partner or a boss or a coworker, I used to sit at, when I worked, I worked for some really large entertainment firms worldwide and, you know, household names. And I would sit there and go, your anxiety is not my anxiety. Your anxiety is not my anxiety. Like I cannot take this on because they, now you have two people going insane. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we used to, I used to have on my, you know, an emergency on your part does not constitute one on mine. And I had that on my desk too, because Hey, you know, my shit's together. Where's yours? And, right. and the, the other part of that, that whole boundary thing is you need to be your own advocate. And if you don't know how to be your own advocate, you need to take lessons in being your own advocate or in. Now, what does that mean? That means you, you need to advocate and stand up for yourself and tell people what you will and won't accept. Like, it's okay. I told them, you know, when I went to this job, I'm very entrepreneurial. I don't like to be this. I don't like when you clock watch me. I don't like this. Love to take the job. I think it's going to be exciting. I'm going to do a fantastic job for you. Thanks for giving it to me. But here are my boundaries and here are my rules. Got it. And they said, yes, great. Now we have a happy union because you're on board and I'm on board for what's going to make me a happy employee. Well, and we understand each other. We understand, and we understand how each other. we work. Right. And not everybody works the same way. Some people, you know, like to come into the office and be a part of that. And that's wonderful. And some people don't, you know, some people like to do it with the music on some people don't, right? Like it depends how you like to work. Um, but if you know how you work best, then stand up for yourself and tell people. Right. Like I work best locked in a dark room away from everyone. Yeah, me you too. Know, I really, I mean, I like a, you know, like I'll follow any conversation that's going will distract me and I'll follow it and it'll pull me off my game, you know, which is one of the reasons I moved my company home and, and I sit in the back, you know, in a back bedroom all by myself, you know, a lot right. of times with this, with the shades drawn because I work a lot on computers. So it makes me happy, but it also right. makes me productive. Right. Yeah. And you, you know, when, once you get to know who you are and how you work and what's your best methodology for getting, you know, doing the best that you can for yourself, um, then you know how you work. And, and so you set yourself up for success by creating the opportunities and the, um, you know, 
your workspace for that. And that includes your boundaries and your goal setting and all of those things that we've been talking about today. Well, and I think, you know, when you talk about that, like, you know, when you look at goal setting, like the bigger picture is why do we set goals? We set goals because we're trying to design our life. You know, we want something, you know, whether it's physical or emotional or, or, you know, uh, egotistical, you know, I want my name on a cover of a book. I want, you know, whatever, whatever those things are. Um, they're really about designing your best life. They are, but I just want to make one, one mention of one thing that happens all the time. And that is when people are like an inch away, an inch away from, from grabbing that brass ring, uh, they give up. And at that point you have to look at yourself and say, okay, I'm not a failure, but there's a reason I, I, I let go because I'm almost there. Like I'm just right there and I'm going to be so successful. Um, that's when you get to know who you are. That's when you get to really know what it is that you want. How so? Well, why did, let's say, why did this fictitious person let go of that goal of, of becoming, of getting that next job of, of taking the, you know, you were offered the role and and you're all set up for it and you interviewed and you, and you practiced and you did it. And it's like, Oh no, I I, I don't think I want that. Right. Or maybe I'm afraid I can't do it or maybe I'm afraid I can't do it. I'm a one trick pony. Uh, my friends won't like me anymore. You know, people are going to hate me that I took this new job or I'm afraid of success. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be too much pressure. It's going to be too much for me. I've had right. all those feelings. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so people who, who, you know, get themselves to that place of almost success need to look at that and go, you know, why did I do that? Right. Why did I do that? Because, you know, it was right there for me. Mm-hmm. And and that's where you get to know who you are and what you really want. Yeah. So don't set goals want- for other people. Set goals that you want. Well, and I think that's hard for a lot of people. I think it's hard, especially for moms, because yeah. you know moms are used to telling their kids what to do. And when it comes to what do I want, you know, that was a, I think you and I worked on that. You know, we coached on something yeah. like what what do I really want? You know when my kids were small, you know, I wanted a good dad. I wanted a stable household. I wanted, you know, dot, 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 dot. Well, now my kids are 13 and 15 and they're getting ready to move on to the next phase of their life. They'll still need me, but they don't need me day in and day out, you know, like they did when they were toddlers. Right. You're a chauffeur in a bank machine right now. Yeah. Pretty much a chauffeur. <laughs> yeah. in a bank machine. That's it. Like in a nutshell and a cook. And a cook. And, um, you know, but to, to, to go, okay, what, what are some goals for me at this stage in my life, Frankie? That's a really hard question for me. It's a hard question for many of us. It's a hard question for me. You know, like you're, you're, you know, we're at different stages in our lives and my kids are gone. My grandkids are coming. I'm older. Um, you know, should I retire? Should I create something new? What do I want to be when I grow up? I don't know. I've accomplished things, but it doesn't feel like I've accomplished things. Like, there's still more to do, but do I want to do it? Do I have the energy to do it? Like, what, what is it that I want? I don't know. So we're, we always get to these places where we don't know. And then, you know, inspiration strikes. You go, oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about goal setting. You know, I had this goal set for the longest time, you know, like I wanted to ride a certain number of miles in a 60 minute, you know, session. And I, yeah, I got to it recently. I hit it in like, Yay. Yay. but I was so let down. Because for 18 months, I had had the joy of going, oh, I shaved, you know, 15 seconds off. Oh, I shaved 30 seconds off. Oh, I shaved a minute off, you know. Yeah. 
and I had that, you know, that momentum because I was hitting my goal. And then when I hit my goal, like for about... It was anticlimactic? Yeah, for about 15, maybe 15, 20 seconds. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then I was like, now what? Yeah, now what Because am I sometimes do? more just becomes more. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just go, oh, well, if I got to 20, maybe I can get to 25. Like at some point you just go, yeah. it isn't fun anymore. It isn't exciting anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that I, that I, you know, I had struggled with because when you reach your goals and I do, and I'm not saying that my goals were easy, you know, I had to work really hard to get yeah. to them, but it's probably like the gold medalist who gets the gold medal. Like after you get the gold medal, you're like, Hey, that was pretty great. Now what? Yeah. You know, you don't now walk do around, do you know, the grocery store, you don't go to Walmart with your Olympic gold medal on. Right. Well, some people probably do, but <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I, like, I know exactly what you're saying. It's it, you know, there now. It's like now what? What am I going to do with my life now? And there is there is a, I think a low that comes with that high, like that you know you right after. Yeah. Like, ooh. Okay. Now what am I going to do? And it's okay to take time. It's okay to sit with it and and not know. It that's okay. Well, and what I do with that anxiety, because, you know, I, I tend to be the person who has the anxiety that people say your anxiety can't become my anxiety. Um, I like to read Frankie when I'm in those lull periods. You know, yeah. I had a lull period like January, February, March, and my business was slow, my company, you know, and I kept thinking, you know, do I need to change? Do I need to start a new one? And I go through this like about every 18, 24 months, whenever there's a lull in my business. And I started reading this book from a long time ago, and they have a new version out, but it's the success principles by Jack Canfield. The current version yeah. is over 500 pages long. Wow! But what I really liked about it is it's, it's still got a little bit about goal setting and it talks about writing effective goals, but it, it reminds me of those bathroom readers. Like, you know, those bathroom yeah. readers where you have like a, a three page about something. Yeah. This has a three page about everything business. And I found myself in the tub and in the bathroom, you know, reading this with a highlighter going, Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. And then eventually, you know, my business turned around, you know, cause you keep, you're going to have lulls and ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, but it was, it kept me thinking without being stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I mean, I, I, I finished that book on March 18th, you know, and, and the year before I finished the book on March 18th and the, you know, the year before that, I can't remember, <laughs> but you know, there, there's four books in so many years and, and they, they carry you and they take a long time and there's a lot of carrying feet, especially near the end when you're putting it all together and you're getting it out to, to launch it to the public. Um, and then it's like a big, Oh, now what, now what I want to do. And it's not like that's the only thing you're doing, but it was like such a high to, to, you know, birth it. Um, I like to birth things. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get a, You have a focus, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, when I have, you know, like when I was studying for my, you know, like my, my latest fitness certification, you know, it's like you're, you're studying, you're taking the test. There's a date you're anticipating yeah. it. Like the whole ride up there is a big energy lift, you know, and you're right. excited. It's like you got a, a big goal. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be cool. And, you know, um, but it's kind of what we do on the downtime, you know, like, in my goal setting, I've actually made time for, because one of my goals is to have a, a better healthy body. So 
that includes massage. It includes manicures and pedicures. It requires sleep. You know, for me to set a goal for sleep, because I was averaging yeah. like four to five hours a night. And then I'm wondering why I get in the, the um, get up in the bathroom in the morning and go, oh my God, the Crypt Keeper's here. Like, you know, I had yeah. to make a lot of changes. Yeah. And those are good goals. I mean, not everything has to be business related, right? No. I recently set the goal to, you know, release some weight again. And like you, you know, I'm going to physio, I'm working hard, I had a hip replacement. So now I'm working hard on that. And I'm doing, you know, these are my goals. My goals is to walk beautifully, not to have like the physiotherapist said, you know, if you don't, if you're not careful, that whole surgery could have been for naught because like you need to work really hard to make this happen. Wow. I'm like, okay, I'm there. I'm there with you. I'm going to work really hard. It hurts, but I'm going to do it. And that's my goal. And you know what? Everything else has gone away. I'm, I'm taking the summer off. I'm not talking to clients. I'm not doing anything. I'm not reading cards. I'm not doing anything. My goal is me. My goal is to get myself to be the very best in physical health I can be. And that's it. And that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. Well, and so, and it's, it's everybody a tough else has one. to go to the wayside. Yeah. Yes. And Frankie, where I'm so proud of you is like you, you are doing this. Like the, the one thing I always fall off the wagon is making myself a priority. Cause it's like, Oh, well I could take this job and make some extra money. Oh, I could do this. You know, making yourself a priority for some of us is mm -hmm. really tough. Yeah. It I'm is. not good at that. You know, I'm good at it for bits and pieces. You know, like I'll, I'll take two hours and say, you know, I'm going to go walk around, I don't know, TJ Maxx or something. And, yeah. you know, maybe I'll buy a new work bag or maybe I'll buy a new scarf. Like, you know, some little thing. That's my woo big treat. So for me to, um, but you just keep back from New York. I did. I did. I had a wonderful time in New York and I, I, I conducted a bunch of business. I inked a few deals while I was there and then I got some wonderful rest and relaxation. And, um, I also realized Frankie, when I went there, like, I know this sounds silly, but how many people there are in the world? Yeah. You know, cause when you stay in your own little environment, you kind of see the same people, you see the same things that at one point I was looking out over like metropolis and you know, there was just, I was 35 stories up is where my room was. And I looked down and I could see just throngs of people and, you know, just streaming out at rush hour, just pouring right. out of these businesses, like, like water or these big buildings. And I thought every single one of those people has a goal. Everyone yeah people has a dream, you know, yeah. or are they just existing, you know, and I would sit, you know, kind of like a, like a lunatic on the subway because I would just look at all those people and go, each one of them has a story. Each one of them has a history. Yeah. And then I got myself completely overwhelmed and had to go to sleep. <laughs> I love it. But I look at that. See, I look at those people and go, each one has a story. They should come on the radio and talk about it because I think everybody's yeah. interesting no matter what they're doing. It's interesting. Right. Cause we're so, we're like operant conditioned to go, Oh, well you're only worth listening to if you have a best selling book or you're only yeah. worth listening to, you know, a good story is a good story. And you think of like, you know, the, our ancestors who maybe sat around a fireplace or an open fire or, you know, quilted and sat at the dinner table and told mm -hmm. stories, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, you know, prior to the digital age. Yeah. I mean, I find everybody fascinating and interesting and I want to know who they are and I want to know their story. Yeah. And even if they don't speak, like I'm watching a, a, a series right now on Netflix called Resurrection. I got turned on to it. It's about, it's like Turkish. It's in Turkish. It's oh. subtitles. I got hooked the first five minutes and I can't stop watching it. 
I just love it. Binge watching it. I'm binge watching it. It's got five seasons, and but but each season has like fifty some odd episodes to it. It seems like, but it's so good. And people go, oh well, yeah, it's got subtitles. I I won't watch it. But you know what? There's so much more to to a conversation than just the language that's coming out of your mouth. Absolutely. You know, there's you look at the eyes and you look at what they're looking at and you look at you know the body language and. It's so expressive, and I don't even think half the time I'm I'm reading it. Like I just know what's going on, and it's interesting, and there's so there's so much intrigue and backstabbing and all this really cool stuff going on. It's and it's like in I don't even know what century it is. Like Genghis Khan, right? Just did this thing. So, but it's it's so neat. Um, but people they they go, oh, I would you know I speak English. I don't I don't watch things like that. No, it's fascinating. Well, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to buzz in for subtitles because when I brought my dad in um, to live with me at 80, uh, he needed the subtitles a lot. Yes. Yeah. You know, you couldn't play it loud enough or he can't hear yep. clearly. I did the same thing when my dad visited the last week. Yeah, but ago. what I found, I've never shut him off because yeah. what I found was there's a lot of asides. Like I was watching some old Big Bang theories the other day and to listen to the characters, to watch the words and the body language, there's a lot of throwaway lines that are really funny. And you yeah. wouldn't, you know, you may necessarily hear them, but then when you look on the screen and go, oh my God, is that what he said? Yeah. You know, you like, you just, it's a whole nother level of enjoyment. So for most of the time, I actually watch with subtitles, even though they're English, I'm English speaking and, you know, English educated. It's, you actually get a lot more out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing when my dad was here. He couldn't hear it. He goes, you know, just put them on so he doesn't miss anything. And you know, it was great. I didn't care. And it was good for him. And like you said, there's things that you miss and wow. That's what they said. Okay. Yeah. Like, cool. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, setting a goal to be happy is, you know, like binge watching. Like I love to binge watch. I can't wait till something comes out and it binge watches. And like when new episodes of Grace and Frankie come out, like I literally know the date. I set time aside and that is my like chill time. And I love to sit in my bed, you know, with the pillows propped up, just watching episode after episode. And then I'll take a break to go get something to eat, but it's actually an event for me and it's very restful. And because I miss it, if it's week to week, Frankie, I miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Other stuff gets in the way. I hear you. And I'm the same. I like to binge watch. It's fun. It is fun. My like goal is to binge watch, you know, like there to you go. watch more. Perfect goal. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to set your boundaries around that? Well, I'm pretty good at keeping the kids out of my room. Like, you know, and given the nature of Grace and Frankie, they walk in like, oh, oh I don't want to be, I don't want to see yeah. that. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a boy repellent. But um, I think the thing is too, to, I'm trying to learn how to turn off my business mind because what I find is I'm sitting places where I really should be present and I'm not. And then it's awful because sometimes I'm working and I'm thinking about my grocery list and my, you know, the things I have to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm covering for one girl at indoor cycle tonight. I'm covering for a girl tomorrow morning. And then I'm covering for another one Saturday morning. Cause they covered for me when I was out of town. So, you know, I want to, I want to keep it all like on the up and up. Um, but I'm really trying to work. I've been reading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. 
Yeah. Because I do have a hard time staying present. I, I seem to be somewhere else wherever I am. A lot of people are like that though, you know? And, and I think it has to do with, it's either you get a little bored or you just have too much to do. And maybe did you write it all down? Because if you wrote it all down or it's on your phone or you know that it's safe and you don't have to re- keep remembering it, then you can let it go. Yeah, sometimes I do that. I mean, I do have like, you know, I have my, my appointment planner and then I have my, you know, day designer that, you know, I log things. And, you know, lately I have three, I can't say her name because she's sitting. No, right I know she's going to open up, but you tell her to, you know, remember your grocery list or yeah. remind you about to, to take a pill or to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's very helpful. It is. I mean, and I like to say, you know, at night, A-L-E-X-A, you know, set my alarm for this time, set a reminder for this. And I can do a better brain dump digitally, you know, because I do wear glasses. I do have to turn the light on. It is kind of a big thing to get up and make a list yeah. as opposed to just laying there half asleep and going, hey, A-L-E-X-A, you know, set a reminder for three o'clock tomorrow to do this. Right. So, you know, um, I really like her. She's my new best friend. I like her too. You know, so let's circle around for, so you have goal setting and the goal is to be happy. And if you need to be happy, then you have to set boundaries. And if you have to set boundaries, then you need to be assertive. And if you're not assertive, then you need to take assertiveness training. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you can stand up for yourself and be a happy, well-rounded person at work. Well, yeah, because some of the things like, you know, that we worry about, I found this, like, you know, when you say to no to people, it's, you kind of get one of three responses. Like sometimes people go, oh, good. I didn't want to go either. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, huh, okay, that was interesting. And then another time you might get like, oh, okay, well, I don't really care. So why don't we do this this way? And then we'll do that that way. And I'm like, huh. So I worried about something nobody cared about. It's very rare that when you say no to somebody, unless it's your child and they want the car keys or gas money, yeah. that they pitch fit. Yeah, that's right. Because you know, most people don't really care that much, I'm finding. This is true. Yeah. You know, but yet we make it in our heads, you know, this big deal like, oh, I can't say no. I can't say no to them. They won't like me and, you know, or I'll get fired. You know, more often than not, no is just, huh, okay. People can respect no. I had a hard time saying no. Did you ever have a hard time saying no? Yep. Because I'm a people pleaser. Yeah. But I have to be a Frankie pleaser. A Frankie pleaser. That's right. Well, but I also think it's a, it's a product of our age, our upbringing. You yes. know, I was raised in an environment where you didn't talk back. You didn't have an opinion. You didn't, you know, those things weren't valued, whether it was in my religious culture or my ethnical, you know, or ethnic culture and the part of the country I'm from. But here's the other thing. Like, I don't even make excuses. I don't have to say no because I have to go in to my grandmother's funeral or something. You know, I mean, you you just tell the truth. No, I don't. You know what? I'm not interested in that. I'm sorry. I've, you know, been there, done that. Or no, uh, that's not how I work best. Or no, I'm really, I don't care. Right. Well, that's the thing where like, you know, on the big bang theory, like the thing that makes me burst out laughing all the time is when like they ask Sheldon to do something and he'll say no, that's, and then he'll say no, because that sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, I mean, you can't say those things in public, but they're, it would be great if people would, because then you would know what they like. 
And I think of my mother, God rest her soul. At one point, Jill, my sister, said something about the color purple. Not the book, just the color. Yeah. From then on, everything my mother bought for Jill was purple. And then my sisters and I were like, you know, oh, well, Jill likes purple. And then it was only like two years after my mom died that Jill confessed to me. She goes, I don't like I purple. purple. <laughs> didn't eat it, but she didn't like it either. And I'm like, oh my God, we've been, um, you know, we've been uh, buying you purple, purple for 20 years. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And she couldn't, and she didn't want to hurt your mom's feelings. So she didn't say anything. Yeah. And that's I mean, kind, you know, that's kind. And we can do that for people that we love. But, but you for, know what? my mom wouldn't have fallen apart if Jill said, you know, I appreciate this, but I'm really, you know, I don't know how we got on to the thing that purple is my favorite color. It's really not. Yeah. It's the same reason I have like 19 wedding Barbies because yeah. <laughs> When I got married, somebody asked me something and I said, oh, when I, when I was little, my sisters had Barbies. I was the youngest girl. So I got the Dawn doll. Do you remember the Dawn dolls? They were like the, the Barbies. Oh yeah, yeah, Dawn. Like, yeah, yeah, her cousin or something. Well, and Barbies were like 10 inches and yeah. Dawn dolls were like six yeah. inches. Yeah, she had brown hair. Dawn. Yeah, so I got the little doll. She got the big doll. Hated that, you know, carried it my whole life. And then I made a joke. Um... Uh, I made a joke because about like, you know, these Barbies and I'm like, someday I'm going to be a grown up, and I made a wedding Barbie joke. So people have been sending me wedding Barbies. That's hilarious. Like when a new Barbie comes out and she's in a wedding dress, I have a Mexican wedding Barbie. I have a Polish wedding. Oh, how fun. It is kind of fun, but you know, I have them all in this big tub because I did open them. I didn't keep them. You know, I'm not a collector or anything like that, but I thought it was really funny um, that it was just on a side that's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was a little girl, everything was purple. Oh, and you're wearing purple right now. I can see Yeah, it's funny. I am wearing purple and I don't normally, but the the rug in my, in my room was purple and you know, everything was purple and white, purple and white. And I loved it. And I grew out of it. (laughs) And then I didn't like purple for a long, long time. Really? And then did you go back to wearing it again? Certain colors. This is more like a magenta purple than a bluey purple. I don't know. Uh, I, I I like certain colors of it, but yeah, I don't wear it very often. And that's funny, yeah, because I bought a um I bought a tote bag for my trip. You know, I've had like a thousand bags, but you know, it's so hard to um it's so hard to with the airlines today because of the restrictions and um you know uh just the whole everything. And so I finally found this like gym bag. It's nylon. It, it weighs like eight ounces. It's this great nice. coat, but it's, but it's heavy solid. You know, it's like it's real double seam stitches. So when I throw all my crap in there, um, the bag could hold it, but it was like purple and gray. And I'm like, I kind of started to like it. Yeah. Well, you would have liked it if it was gray and turquoise. Yeah. 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 And it, it, was, it was kind of a pukey purple, too. It wasn't like a nice, vibrant, um, you know, like what you're wearing. Like yours is like an yeah. eggplant. You know, it's really a pretty, vibrant purple. It was kind of like a pukey purple and a pukey gray. And, but it was the greatest bag. It just, I didn't like the color. So form over function over form. That's okay. Yeah, I know. But. It would have still been great if it was the best color, like a yeah. color that I really like. Yeah, it would have been better. Yeah. And, um, but, 
Oh, well. Yeah, this was the first trip I took that I got really jammed up at the last minute and I couldn't do my usual coordinating efforts. And my dad had borrowed one of my suitcases to take home. So my burgundy one was gone. Max took my black one. The kids went to Chicago. So there goes the blue one. So I was left with an acid green and purple trim. Oh, fun. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a kid's, it's a kid's roll on one made by Olympia. It's really cute. If you were like a, and it's got a Ninja Turtle on the Yeah. Floor. If you're like a 10 year old girl and I, you know, cause normally I like everything to coordinate when I travel yeah. and I like, cause I remember it. It's like, I yes. know what I carried with. And then I had this like gray and purple tote bag, you know, it looked like Technicolor threw up. Then I had this acid green suitcase with purple trim. Well, and I just, I, I was clashing so loud. I just, I couldn't even look at my own things. That's so funny. I love it. And I was so <laughs> mad because I was sitting at one of the charging tables in JFK and this woman sits down. I wanted to punch her in the head. She rolls up with a rose gold, like hard suitcase. And then she pulls out her rose gold iPhone, her rose gold iPad, her rose gold cables. And she had like a silvery with rose gold trim iPad cover. She looks so lovely. And I just want to splash something on it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? But it really did look nice. And she's like, yeah. you know, we started talking cause I said, I'm a mishmash. I got my, you know, I had my son's phone cover, you know, cause I, I snapped my phone cover. So he had an extra one. I'm like, you know, it was any port in a storm and it really didn't matter, no. but it did bug me. Like, so my goal <laughs> next time I travel is to get my stuff assembled ahead of time because by the t- I was the last one to leave in the house, Frankie. My dad left first, then the kids left. So I was left with the leftovers. Well, why don't you tell them that that's your birthday gift? Coordinated so luggage. Not until like January of next year. <laughs> coordinated luggage for Christmas. Yes, coordinated for business. Because I do have a really nice coordinated set for from L.L. Bean. It's about 10 years old. It's beautiful. But it doesn't, the rolling carry-on doesn't fit the new size restrictions. Oh, uh, Yeah. Because they've, you know, they've gotten smaller over the years. Yeah. So I'm like, oh. Traveling's a pain. It is a pain. It's a pain. I don't enjoy it anymore. I had a girl next to me on the plane with her. She was a spreader. She was in the center seat. And I was so annoyed because I went to sit down. She had both her legs spread. She wasn't excessively tall, but she was just like flopped over. And so I sit down, I'm like, excuse me, because I heard literally her hand was almost in my seat. And I'm like, you know, and it's assigned seating. It's not like I can yeah, that's right. else. And, um, you know, it's just, it is, it's, it's traveling's hard. So my, I, I did make a bunch of goals on the airplane because I do think airplanes are really good place to set goals. Yep. Because you can't really do anything else but drink and watch movies and like fight for that armrest. <laughs> <laughs> And, Hope she goes to sleep. <laughs> well, I kept falling asleep because I had flown the red eye, you know, a couple of days earlier and she kept having to get up to pee. Then she's like, I got to stretch my legs. And, oh, she was just so annoying. And there's nothing you can do, but suck How many out. hours was she on the plane with you? Six and a half. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. If it was just a little hop for 45 minutes, I'd be like, but when yeah. you're on a plane with six, but she smelled fine. Like that's the worst is when somebody yeah. bad or they're sick. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, or they talk too much and they won't shut up. Oh, going out there. Yeah, we had the Screaming Baby Express going out there and the Chatty Cathy's behind me just yakking away. Tackling. Yeah. And uh, so my goal, you know, because I did, I forgot my earplugs. 
you know, I, 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 the last minute I couldn't find my noise canceling headsets, you know, I just, I have to be ready before I go. Like my, my goal is net for my next travel, which is in like four weeks or three weeks, you know, I'm going to set everything up before I go. I'm going to have a, like I decide I'm going to get a bag and I'm going to put all my travel stuff in there, my travel blanket, my travel pillow. You know, I have good noise canceling headphones, you know, my little baby hairbrush, like stuff that was all over my office. Like my little baby hairbrush that I love, you know, was yeah. behind my monitor. It would help if I wasn't such a slob. Well, you know what? I was very lucky because when I went to the hospital, my daughter came the day before and she came with a list and she just packed everything beautifully for me. And I'm like, I could never have done that myself and not like she did it. And it's like, wow, you are very organized young lady. Well, and that's that lady that was sitting next to me with everything that coordinated. I mean, it really, it was, it would, not only was it aesthetically pleasing, but she could find everything. Yeah. You know, and it was, was, it Set was her up just, for success. Yeah. And it's like, my stuff looked like, you know, target threw up on the counter and somebody could put their phone down and I would have picked it up because as long as it was mismatched, it's going in my bag. <laughs> probably, probably mine. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, well, Frankie, this has been so much fun. I always enjoy my time with you. And you. Um, for those of you that were looking for those goal setting books, uh, there's Brian Tracy's book, Goals, How to Get Everything You Want Faster Than You Ever Thought Possible. There's The Magic Lamp, which is goal setting for people who hate setting goals. Uh, there's Your Best Year Ever, The Five-Step Plan for Achieving Your Most Important Goals by Michael Hyatt. Um, Mark Murphy wrote a book called Hard Goals. And the one that I liked the best was The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be by Jack Canfield. It's really a good one. Everybody should own that. But they should also buy your book, Frankie. Go ahead and give us your titles because there it is, Midlife Mojo with a big frog on the front and a... It's a kind of a orangey. Yeah, it's orange and it's got a frog and how to get through the midlife crisis and emerges your true self. And it is a prescription for change. It really is. It's step by step prescription how to change your life. That's that's one. Um, I buried my chest. That's I buried two. my chest. Is there? Uh, no bull allowed is three, and for want of forty pounds is four. That one's a good one. That one's about your dad. That's a really yeah. great story. I've read all of them. They're terrific. Thank you. Uh, you can't go wrong. We'll be back again next week with another great show. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd and Kimberly Minaldi, and we are going to talk today about beliefs. And there's like a hamster wheel, you guys, that, you know, beliefs beget emotions, emotions beget beliefs, because I feel things and they change my thoughts and I change my thoughts and my feelings change. And I'm constantly on this hamster wheel of, oh, Alexa, shut up. I have got to shut my Alexa off. Um, but she's here. We'd like to give show credit to Alexa by Amazon today. Um, that hamster wheel of beliefs, you guys, makes it. All right. You're going to have She's hogging the show. Alexa, off. I have her setting my vitamin reminder, my reminder to go to the gym. So now my beliefs have changed from loving her. Okay, Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Off. Alexa, off. Alexa, off. Okay, sorry. We just had beliefs going to emotions. Emotions went from I love you to I hate you to I'm going to unplug your little ass and we're going to continue with the show. So... How beliefs change our emotions and vice versa. But Robin, you you read something or heard something recently that I'd love you to share for our guests. I was just trying to find it so that I could quote it more exactly. I listened to John Tesh. 
He has a radio program. If you've known John Tesh as a pianist and over the years, he's just a, a wonderful uh, personality. He has a radio show now, a syndicated show called Intelligence for Your Life. And in between songs, if you're, you get that radio station, and of course, it's also on his website, johntesh.com, he has these little... Um, factoids if you will that his staff puts together and last night i'm driving home and he's talking about uh do you cry at everything are you emotional about things and and we'll talk about it in a minute and i'm like cranking up the radio because i gotta hear this because i cry at everything and he (coughs) said that it isn't just um something very simple there is actual scientific study that some people are wired if you will to feel things more um, vividly, more you have more sensitivity. It's a positive thing. It's not a bad thing. So when you're sitting in uh, church and hear a song, and you all of a sudden you're you're crying, or you know the the kids send you a letter. Oh gosh, I found a letter the other day. My daughter, after her marriage, um, had sent uh, my husband and me a letter of thanks. My daughter is very stoic. She's very pragmatic. For her to send this very emotional letter just sent me in tears. And here, what is it, seven years now, I found happened to find the letter, crying my eyes out because there was just something so sincere, so real. Anyway, so don't hesitate. Don't, don't try and hide it. Let those tears come because you are wired for it and you're one of the more fortunate ones. Yes, because if not, you're like me. I am not wired with great sensitivity. And I have to really be hit by a truck to feel anything. And I think it's really hard for people who don't feel things as acutely as others. Like I can feel other people's pain. It like radiates off them and then I can feel that. But if you ask me right now, how do you feel? What do you feel? I'm like, I got nothing. Yeah, I I was actually, um, I was wired for sensitivity and I was shamed for it. As a child, mm, I was called yeah. tiny tears. That was Aww. my name. Well, better than big and, fat tears. <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> big fat, fact-sized yeah. tears. <laughs> but I, I was shamed for being so sensitive. And mm. I come from really unhealthy upbringing. So I, I, we're going to kill that part of me. We're going to stuff that down. And I became Gone. very left brain, very pragmatic, very detail oriented and emotion had no part in it to the extent that having gone through menopause in the last two years I cry at the drop of a hat and I'm scaring the crap out of people who have known me all these years because they're like oh my god if she's crying it must be horrible I'm like no I'm just I'm crying because I'm I am feeling this right now and I cry for good I cry for bad I cry with you I cry my husband lost his mom two weeks ago. We went to dinner. Long story short, I did offer to help his mother with assisted suicide many years ago because she wasn't happy. It's every daughter-in-law's dream to offer mother-in-law, and I was given a legal opportunity. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but that was just so unexpectedly funny. But no, it's true. We're having dinner. He, it was five days after he lost his mother. And I, I was out of town until literally the hour before she passed. Oh. And I came back in town and I said, I, I just, I'm not being insensitive, but I need to know, have you cried? And he goes, of course I've cried. She's my mother. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at the restaurant and I'm sobbing. And I said, 
I can't stop crying. And she was probably my least favorite person in the entire world. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, and that's why I said, stay where you were. Don't come home. I've got this. Oh, gosh. Wow. But yeah, I'm just, I, he was, I was like, you should be crying. It's your mother. I'm crying and she's not my favorite person, but that's yeah. where I am now. And I don't even apologize anymore. It's just oh, no. where I am. Well, it's hard to feel like, I don't know, it's hard to feel what you don't feel. Like, I will be in the movie theater and something really sad or awful will happen, and I laugh. I don't mean to, but sometimes it's just so funny. And, you know, I'm reminded of that old Mary Tyler Moore episode with Chuckles the Clown, or, you know, (laughs) remember when that scene where he's like... I mean, I even started giggling at my mom's funeral because nobody wanted to sit next to the casket. I know it sounds awful, but it was one of those traditional Catholic ceremonies. You know, you put the pall on the casket, you roll her to the front, and then everybody's like, you know, I come from a big family. Like, I don't want to sit with mom. I don't want to sit with mom. And I'm like, yeah, you go sit with mom. And, you know, it's just, I think it's a lot how you deal with things. Like when I have things that are really super emotional, I don't think I have the adult bandwidth. <laughs> or maybe it's just the way I cope. I have no idea. I think you that's it. It's your coping. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a coping mechanism, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It really... Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yes, Kimberly, there is. When you burst out laughing at a funeral, there's... <laughs> my husband flipped the lights on at my dad's deathbed over the hospital bed and I said what are you doing he goes I'm inspiring I'm going to the light John I mean it's (laughs) the thing is it may be tremendously heartbreaking it may be difficult experience but if you survive it I'm a big believer and you better find something light about it to be able to get through it in the future so I'm always looking for the funny the release the relief if you will yeah, I think I need to marry you because mm-hmm. most people I've been around don't, um, they don't enjoy that aspect of my personality. <laughs> and the, the thing is, I know that I'm not the only one because my little brother, who's a year younger, you know, mm-hmm. he's as bad as I am. And even as kids, we could not sit together in church mm-hmm. because they'd be up there, you know, doing the Anomine Patri, the and Spiritus Sanctum, and everybody be walking around, be all be serious. And I'd be like, I think the lady in front of us just farted. (laughs) And she did. So we started laughing. And then when he laughs, I laughed more. And then my mom would separate us. Yeah. I I did the, a family member told me they found the Lord. And they said, was he on a milk carton? I'm not sure. (laughs) So I'm with you. (laughs) Oh my God. My roommate in college, she still will not let me live this down. Like I was raised, my mom was almost a nun, you guys. I mean, she was that serious. I can tell you my prayers inside and out. My uncle Gary's a Baptist pastor. I know the Lord. Okay. And she found the Lord, you know, like when she was 19 in college at Northwestern. And she's like, she came home one day and she's like, have you tried Jesus? And I'm like, Oh, he was delicious. (laughs) I thought she was going to kill me. Oh. Yes. 
see? I get you. I totally get you. You know, like when you do, like, you know, as a believer, for me, like I find great comfort in that. You know, it works for me and I can turn it over to God when I need it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not evangelical. I mean, that's about as evangelical as you'll get me. Mm-hmm. The platypus proof that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> All I'm going to say. <laughs> yes. He made me this way. If he can't take my sense of humor, that's not my fault. <laughs> well, and you know, when I was getting divorced, you guys, and it was really ugly, and we had this particularly ugly um, court exchange where I was accused of a lot of really awful things. And I was driving home. I think I called you up because I was driving yes, home. Yes, I was going to say, I think I remember this day. Yep, and I'm like, Good job, God. Like, yep, great job on that creation. You really nailed it, knocked it out of the park. And I'm like, well, that's a real relationship with our creator. Like, you know, it shouldn't be just, oh, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. It's like, hey, why did you make this jerk? Yeah, yeah. You know, because our beliefs do change as we get older. I think for me, the the death of my mom, the death of my marriage, the death of my company, the death of my bank account, like, all of those conspired to make me a much calmer person. You know, don't you think so, Rob? I'm so much calmer than I ever was. Absolutely. What I was going to say is I think there's an element of belief that is you take or you, you absorb what belief you need at that moment. If you're solid, if you're humming along, your belief is like, yeah, I, I've got this. My world around me is copacetic. I'm cool. I'm great. When you're facing something more difficult, your beliefs change because you're searching for what you need to get through whatever you're facing. Yeah. What do you got, Kimberly? You know, I I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that you're given exactly what you need, whether you believe it or not. Well, that's it, very true. You know, it, I'm, I was raised Catholic, but just like you, I'm a Catholic school graduate. I'm married in the Catholic church. Mr. Rinaldi still attends mass every Sunday morning. He now pulls the blinds and lets me sleep in. We have a different belief set at this point. I truly believe that it's, And not that I believe everything is left up to God and his infinite design. I think we had a hand in it on the other side. But I believe those who challenge us most on this side are our most beloved on the other side, or we wouldn't have trusted them with the challenge. And that's a hard lesson. People are like, oh, they'll get theirs. Karma will turn around. How do you know the karma wasn't yours? You know, Mm -hmm. karma has no conscience. It has no consciousness. It's a balancing scale. I believe they're balanced when you say they are. And I believe your internal, and we were talking about mindset in the last show, I believe your internal conversations and internal dialogue really has a lot to do with how you experience faith and beliefs and direction in life. And I don't stand by and let things happen anymore, but I have become more of a silent witness and experiencer of my life versus somebody who's just trying to shove that square pig in the round hole anymore. Well, see, and I think I've found that, (laughs) you know, like with the challenges of of the last decade, you know, I look at it as like, you know, like now I look back on it and go, it was life school. Like it grew me up 
It showed me what's important. It gave me a career. You know, I didn't feel yeah. like it at the time, but it gave me a radio career. It gave me a writing career. You know, it gave me something to say. It, it allowed me to minister to people in a way that I couldn't before. So did I like it most of the time? No, but I'm also really hard headed. So would like the universe had to like, not just pat me on the tush. It was like, boom, right in the head. And then as soon as I'd get up, it would, you know, knock me down for the count. But it all, all of those things, like on the outset of it, like on the, on the outside, when I run into my ex-husband and his new wife and I run into people and I, I, I have friends who are losing their parents, I'm a much better person. I, you know, not that I was awful before, maybe I was, I don't know, but (laughs) You know, now I'm like, I get it. I get what you were doing for me, God. You were growing me. You were teaching me. And I'm not always coachable. I'm not always teachable. So I had to go through it. You know, and if you asked me, would I go through it again? I would. Yeah, 100%. 100 times over. I, I wouldn't be who I am, where I am right this minute without every step of the way. And I think you guys and I'll ask you this, like I went into, because I look at my old journals, I look at the things that I wrote, you know, and that's, that's really good. And I actually go back sometimes, I never listened to my shows at the time, but sometimes I'll go back like 12 years and listen to an episode to see like, you know, where was I, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think at that time, I believed that there was something bigger than myself. I believed a lot of these things that I learned as a child. And then after coming through that whole decade long experience, I know I went from belief to knowing. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that experience, Rob? I think so. I mean, there's so many times that I will sit back, capture that Kodak moment and say, yeah, this was given to me by some, Oh, talking about moments. Um, my mother's mother, I never knew she, um, uh, she had died when my mother was pregnant with me. She was from England. She was jovial. She was, um, uh, a little bit of cockney in there and she just was real sassy. So, um, she loved red every year. My mother would put a red geranium on the great, on the headstone urn had to be red, had to be a big geranium, big poofy geranium. Well, this year, Memorial Day kind of came a little bit quicker. It seemed like it was a week ahead. I was, I lost it. And my mother somewhere was saying, you should have your flowers by now because she was just so on top of everything. And why don't I have my flowers? It was Friday night. So I thought, oh gosh, well, I'll take a ride. I went to Home Depot. I went to Walmart. I went to Market Basket, which is a chain up here. Um, you know, I went to all these places, there were no red geraniums. So the next morning got up crowded as all get out. I went to this lawn and garden place that's down the street. No red geraniums. There were pink. There were other things that were other kinds of red, no red geraniums. So I said, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I'm walking down this whole other area where there were rhododendron plants. And, and uh, then there was a section of impatience, nothing to do with geraniums. What was sitting there was this red geranium pot with this huge, poofy, red, brilliant red geranium out of nowhere. 
out of nowhere and it was sitting there and I just literally looked up and I went thanks mom because mom put it there where did that geranium come from you have to believe that there was something I I just want to say my mom's with me whether you know she's there she's still taking care of me my mother's in my head all the time oh god yeah you know, like sometimes I get up in the morning, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm standing there and she goes, oh, would you pull your hair back? <laughs> you know, there, and there, there are things like that or like, you know, um, I'll, I'll do something like, and I do, I actually listen to her a lot now because Rob, she's had this funny thing because like, you know how I beat myself up when I was first a single mom. Like I didn't know how to be a mom, much less a single mom. Single like, you know, they kind of came hand in hand. So mm-hmm. I had all these ideas of what mom should do, how mom should act, how the house would look. And it's only lately where I'll be like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't get this all done. I can't. And my mom will go, well, because you're a single mom, like you're one person, not two. And she keeps mm-hmm. drilling that in my head. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Rob, of all the conversations we've had and the therapists and my friends and everything, only my mom hammers in my head. Like people would say, oh, it doesn't matter. You can leave that. You can leave that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, well, I can't because I'm type A personality, OCD, you know, insanity runs rampant in my family. But she keeps saying, well, because you're a single mom. Like, of course you can't, you know, people say, well, why don't you have your kid in this and that, you know, like, well, if I could morph into three people, yeah, yeah, I could, Mm -hmm. but one person can only, like, I can work, I can clean, I can take care of the kids, but I can't do all three at once. Mm -hmm. And it took my mom's voice in my head to go, duh, because you're a single mom. Yeah. And that gives me some more you listen to her more now, listen to her more now that she's gone. Than- yeah, I listen to her. More. I, I truly listen to her more that she's dead than she's, than when she, she ever did when she was alive. Yeah. You know, cause she'll come in my head at the strangest places. Like I'll be in my closet, hanging my stuff away and I'll be like, Hmm, should I take this? And she's like, no, that never looked good on you. So, you know, is it my divine angel? Is it my mother? It was, is it my subconscious? Is it the little person that lives in my head? Who knows? I like to think it's my mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all one thing. It's all connection. And, you know, going back to beliefs, I I think at this point at 52, having experienced the things I've experienced, the one thing that I can walk away saying is that we truly are one we truly come from one creative energy. We truly are one unit with everything that is, was, and always will be. Mm-hmm. And when we get that connection, when we truly get that connection and live and work from it, I think it makes a difference yeah, on the human level and more importantly on the personal level, because I'm all about how does this impact me? Um, it, it really is. It's selfish and yet it is selfless. So. Well, and I think there's a lot of relief in having a solid belief system in something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at my my peers, um, you know, at the end of the day, I do the best I can and the rest is up to God. That's it. That's that's what I tell myself. I review my day. I think about what I didn't do well, what I could do better tomorrow, like how I could improve. I wake up in the morning and I, I give thanks that I woke up and then I you know, I, I think about all the things that I have to do that day. And then I'm like, I just say my little prayer, like, just give me the strength, God, to get through the day and to leave it better than I found it. Like really simple. And, you know, by and large that works. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, mine is guide my heart, my hands, my mind, my mouth, because I can't be trusted on my own. Oh, I have one in my bathroom <laughs> that says, Lord, keep your hand around my shoulder, your something else, and your hand across my mouth. Like something like that. So what about you, Rob? What gets you through the day? What beliefs do you carry that help you? Um, trust that um, I, I probably am, if I'm given a challenge, it's to learn by. If I'm given um, a joy, it's to survive with. Those are, those are kind of what I like to think of a, as a mantra. Um, challenges are, I have to, as much as I'm scared of them, I will buckle down and say, can I do this? Do I need help? Can I, and what will I learn from it? And then the joys that I have, I try and say, capture that Kodak moment. When Steve was just recently out in Albuquerque, we met up with my son, our son and his wife and uh, our daughter-in-law was busy one day. So Steve had our son all to himself. They climbed a mountain. They did, they went out and had a beer. Uh, They, they did things together that they, the two of them have not been together in a long time. And I made sure that before the, the day started, I said to Steve, capture every moment like it's a photograph embrace it because the minute we're away from the kids we just angst and say oh my god we miss them so much because i'm in new hampshire one's in north carolina one's in new mexico Mm -hmm. and we are just so far apart physically and we don't have that opportunity to hug but we hug those those captured moments and those are the things that get us to the next time we can be together You know what one of my favorite beliefs to carry is, and I know it sounds like really funny, but it's like stupid things happen. Yeah. Like stupid things happen. Stupid things happen to me all the time. Like, you know, like today I asked Zachary to take the trash out. He's taken the trash out a hundred times. Today there was a hole in it and the applesauce that had been sitting in the fridge for two weeks dripped like all the way down the carpet, all the, and he didn't notice, so he carried it out, oh. you know, it's all over the driveway, and it stinks, yeah. and yeah. I could get mad at him, I could get mad at the situation, or I could just laugh it off and go, you know what, stupid things happen, because mm-hmm. yeah. as I you get older, a, you realize how many dumb things happen, at least I do, I'm not going to say you guys are, but, but dumb things happen, and then I get upset over it, and they're just stupid things, mm-hmm. yeah, Stuff that won't matter. I had a a client who, she really put it in perspective. Again, going back to creative energy, universal connection. She said, God has three answers to every prayer. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, but not right now. And hold on. I have something better in mind for you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And when she told me that, I was like, it just so resonated with me because it's it the things you know what was that garth brooks song unanswered prayers the things that i thought i wanted so Mm -hmm. desperately that i couldn't force into that round hole ended up being such blessings on the other side because there was something even bigger more beautiful more spectacular that i couldn't have imagined Mm. yep 
Well, that's what I felt about my divorce. You know, when it was first happening, I thought I would never get through it. I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And how am I going to raise these kids? You know, and now 12 years later, people are like, when are you getting married again? I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like when I feel like I want to give up my freedom and I don't, I don't want to share a bathroom. I don't want to share a bed. I mean, you could, you could live in the house across the street, which is what I told someone I was dating. I'm like, why don't you buy the house across the street? That way I can have my house. You can have your house and be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, my belief about that changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think that's, that's part of our perspective shift as we age, as we get older. I, I'm, I'm not one who, oh, those kids, and I remember my time. I just try and look at where I am right now and prospectively, what what am I growing in? How am I, how am I growing forward? How am I influencing the people that I influence to be open to change? Because that really is one of the biggest difficulties from a belief perspective that we have. We get stuck in a direction, and mm-hmm. we don't want to see change. We don't want to see difference. Right. Well, and you know, my goals, you guys have, have shifted immensely. You know, I used to have these goals of like, you know, products or places or things. And now I just want to be happy. Like I want to enjoy my day. I want to enjoy the kids. You know, I want to enjoy the clients I work with. And it's, it's only in the last year I took this course with Dr. Geraldine Tegelov and it was a year long course. And when I signed up for it, I thought, Oh God, what are you doing? It's, you know, you can't get, you know, through your checklist, why would you take a year long course? I mean, really, you know, talk about getting your head examined. Um, But it was one of the best things that I did for myself because it allowed me to, it allowed me to do a reset. And I think we all need resets at times in our lives, especially when we're, we're looking at the next phase of my life. You know, I look at my kids are 13 and 15, Rob, if you can believe it. Remember when I started all this, they were three yeah. months old and two yeah. and a half years old. Yeah. So now I'm looking at going, okay, what's next? You know, the kids are moving on. Even mm-hmm. just now they're, they're moving on to their own, more of their own life. And I'm getting yeah. more of my life back. How do I want to spend it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, I don't think I asked myself that for probably ever. It was always do. Company needs me to do. My clients need me to do. Kids need me to do. Husband needs me to do. Family Mm -hmm. needs me to do. Mom needs me to do. Dad needs me to do. Well, now I have this time and I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the opportunity to think about what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to spend my day because my day was primarily obligated to others. Is that an empty nester kind of, I mean, I don't know if that's, is that what I'm heading toward? Yeah, in a way I think it is. I mean, what do you think, Kimberly? I, you know, honestly, I think it, (laughs) not having nested, um, (laughs) I'm fond of saying the only thing domestic about me is that I live in a house. Yeah. Um, I, I truly believe in, and I stand by this, the closest you are to your children is while you are carrying them. 
Yeah. From the moment you give birth, every step they take, every decision that is made is about the extrication of you from their lives. And yeah. that is the healthy direction. That is mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big proponent within my client base who, you know, in that mothering parenting time frame, explaining, don't wait until they're 18 and off to college to figure out who the hell you are. Mm -hmm. You should know this, embrace this. There is nothing selfish. It, it is the selfless act of teaching your children that they are the center of their universe mm -hmm. and should be healthy and appropriately. So yeah. congratulations, well, yeah. I mean, Sandra. Like, You're you the most important person in your life. Right. You raise your kids to leave you. I tell yeah. my kids that all the time. I'm like, cause they'll be like, why do I have to do this? Like today, Zachy had the shop back out and he had to blow the area by the pool and get the leaves away. And I'm like, because someday I'm going to be dead and you're going to have to clean the pool area. And when you do, your wife won't look at you like a loser. Cause you don't know how to do anything. Snowflake like this. <laughs> That's the conversation we have. I mean, I, you know, he knows I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Like yeah, your yeah. Job, my job is for you to leave. Cause they're like, we don't want to leave mom. And I'm like, your job is to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mommy's yeah, not building a basement you for you to live in. Yeah. Right. Right. Huh? Mommy's not building a basement for you to live in. No. <laughs> Cause I told the kids like, you know, my dad used to say like at 18, you're out, you ship out, you know, you ship out to the military or go to college. You know, I'm not going to support you. And I was really scared as a little kid thinking like my 18th birthday, I'm just going to be out on the door, like with a suitcase, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, yeah. go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'll be sad and stuff, but, um, it's kind of nice, you guys, after a decade to have some time to read. Sometimes I finished a book. Mm -hmm. I turned it into mm -hmm. the publisher. Like, I actually did it. It's taken me 12 years, Rob. How many times did I start that book? Over and over and over and over. And then yep. my dad moved in and somebody got sick and then we had a sick dog. Mm -hmm. Then we had, you know, mm -hmm. just constant. And I was actually, like this year... My dad took on more work. The kids took on more work mm -hmm. and they plowed the road for me to finish my project. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I, you know what? 35 to 45. And I saw this continuously both in healthcare and in behavioral um, work that I do. It's, it's that time frame for women where they really have taken on more than they need to, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But it's also a time frame for realizing it's that tear down to rebuild. And this, again, going back to putting yourself in the center of your universe is what you're here for. Your soul came here for that. Your mm -hmm. consciousness came here for that. These other people are supporting characters in your play. Mm -hmm. They should never be the most important thing in the world. And I know that's a hard here for a lot of moms. but they shouldn't be because you will be gone one day right. and they should be the most important person in their lives. So congratulations, Sandra. You didn't have to have a breakdown to have it. No. A lot of women get there. Well, a lot but of I women think, get there. you know, that's where, where being a single mom, I think it does make you different from intact family moms, like where you have a husband and a wife, you know, because you don't have that. Some do, but in my case, you don't have a spouse that you can talk to that will give you advice. You know, you can't kind of co-create that thing. And then mm -hmm. you're in your household going, okay, I'm the leader 
and everybody's the follower. Like there's no co-leader, but conversely, there's also nobody to pick you up when you fall down. And that was the hardest thing for me because when you have little ones and self-care, you know, self-care just went out the window. I mean, I'll be honest, there, there was no self-care. It's like, I've got two kids to feed. I got a mortgage to pay, you know, down to $43 in my account at the end of the month was the lowest I ever went. You know, and that's typical of a lot of single moms. Mm -hmm. So what do you do, but get up the next day and do it all over again? Mm -hmm. Because people would say to me like, oh, if I were you, I'd be so depressed. And I'd be like, no, you wouldn't because you have no time. Like there is, there is no time as a single mom to feel sorry for yourself or be depressed. Yeah. You can't do it. I used to um, help out a couple of things. A couple of years I would help out down in our church's nursery and kids would be crying or whatever. And I would grab that little one and I would say, go, go upstairs, go have your hour to yourself and God. And if that child cried for a solid hour, the child would not be <laughs> any worse for the wear. They would just sleep all afternoon. That's I mean, right. I'm like, <laughs> cry, baby, cry, because you'll be so exhausted by the time yep. I take you home. I can, but that's the one thing. But that too, I was like, remember, I used to do that though. Even um, when I had my mother and I would be stressed, I would go to church and it, whether the kids were, young enough to be downstairs in the nursery or Sunday school. I'm congregational. So we have Sunday school during that time, as opposed to catechism, a different day of the week. We, that was my hour. And maybe my brain never heard a word of that, of that sermon. Maybe I was off somewhere else. That was my hour. And whether it's church for somebody or whether it's uh, having a friend just be there, whether it's a mother's helper to come for so you can take a bath um locking the bathroom door yep yep that one whatever you've carved for yourself is your reboot you need that reboot and yeah that's why i used to go to the gym you guys i mean I would go to the gym. They had three hours of childcare, $2 an hour per kid. There you go. So you drop the kid off and I would tell them I will be in the bathroom. And they're like, for three hours? I'm like, yeah, for three hours. I would go to the bathroom. Then I would deep condition my hair. I would stand under the shower and nobody banged on the door. Nobody said, mom, he hit me. (laughs) And then I would sit down on the, they always have these little benches where you like, you can put your makeup on and stuff like that. And I would open up my day planner and I would plan out things. I would do the things that I could do literally. And (laughs) I didn't lift a weight. Yes. And that's what you you did. Yes, you I lifted the weight, the weight off, off this way. Yeah, the weight off the shoulders. <laughs> no, but I mean, I literally would have this big gym bag, and it would have because yeah. when your kids are little, and you like for me, I have the house of death. I have a balcony they can fall off of, two flights of stairs they can fall down. I got a pool in the backyard so they could drown, and you know, go out into the garage where my dad leaves stuff around and slice your arm off. Like there was no way I was going to leave my kids when they were really little. You guys, I used to take the car seats from my car, stick them in front of the tv lock them in and then i would prop furniture around it because they'd be hitting each other kicking each other and i'd come out down from the shower they'd be tipped over and like hanging out of the car seat like a car crash in my own living room so you prop them up put a movie on but you have to put them in lockdown you know you can't just leave them a toddler no way mm-hmm. no but and i love that you were resourceful that way and kudos to your gym for offering that and i think yeah 
That's yeah. fabulous. That's where you know? gym was really important. Church was really important. And I used to take the kids to vacation Bible school when they were little. And the pastor was so great because I'd check them into vacation Bible school. And I'd say, do you have a little room I can use? He'd let me use a room to work in. Mm-hmm. So I would do my work from the church. Remember, Rob, I did a whole yeah. summer working yeah. from two different churches. I did VBS in the morning. Kids went there. I would work. Then I would take them to lunch. And then we'd go to afternoon vacation Bible school. And I'd get three more hours of work done. I got a six-hour workday in sitting in the back of a church. And sometimes I'd be in the crying room, you know, where the little kids are in the back. And it would be empty. And I'd, like, make my makeshift desk. But you know what? It worked. Yeah. Yep. You know, because you do need to, and I'm 3000 miles from my family. So I didn't have aunts and uncles or, you know, my mom was dead. I didn't have that support system and, you know, trying to stash your kids places when you need to work, I think was the hardest thing for me. Wouldn't you say Rob, when you go back to those days? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, and there again, I think it's that self, um, self-placed obligation that you are the only one now, you do have to accept that help because the only way you can clear and open those channels to wherever your channels need to go is to have that, like I say, that reboot, you got to. But you have to believe it first. Like that's why we're talking about this, you know, like, and I remember the point at which I like waved the, the flag of surrender and the kids were like four and six or maybe five and seven, you know, just right around those ages. And we were watching something and I remember waking up and hearing both of my kids were standing over me and Max goes, I think she's dead. And then Zach goes, poor mommy. Because I was so tired. Because they had been pushing me. And I'm like, (laughs) and I remember hearing that, like, I think she's dead. I love it. Poor mommy. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best they got for you. I need some help. I need some help and I need it now. And I do remember that was when, Robin, you'll remember this. Like my friend Carrie came over and she just did laundry. Because I'm like, I I called my friends and I put, Kimberly, you don't even remember this. I put up on my Facebook page the the bat signal. (laughs) That became my face. And people were calling me going, what do you need? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. And they did. They babysat. Yeah. They cooked. They cleaned. They helped me yeah. get. Because at that point, I will never forget washer broken, dryer broken, garbage disposal broken, both air conditioning units broken, pool filter broken, green pool. And my friends whose husbands were contractors, I remember Tom Costin fixed my air conditioning units. I paid for, he says, just pay me for the parts. I'll do the labor. And Rick, pushed that washing machine from that house for sale down the street, <laughs> pushed it up a canyon for my house. But it took, it took the white flag of like surrender yeah. and death to, for me to believe that I could ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and it's so funny cause I, I wrote this down because I wanted to, and you went right there. Um, I've always shared my joys, my triumphs with everybody. Not that I was afraid to, but it was just, my crap is so big and ugly. You don't need to wade through it. I'll figure it out on my own. Menopause has taught me, you know what? Everybody's got the same crap and they may not be able to jump in and take it off my plate, but frankly, they may have, they may have a solution that I haven't thought of. 
And so many people, because I know, like you, Sandra, like you, Robin, I'm the first, somebody tells me, I'm like, what can I do? How can I help? What can I I do? Mm -hmm. Sandra, you were actually one of the first people who told me, stop taking that off the table for other people. Yes, that was a huge epiphany for me too. One of my friends yelled at me. She's like, why do you rob me of the joy of helping you? Yes. Yep. That was hard. But I do think, guys, you know, when you're in the weeds and, you know, when I talk about the weeds, I'm like, you know, you're like hanging on for dear life. Mm, Yeah. The con, because Rick would ask me this all the time. He's like, Stan, why don't you ask for help? And I'm like, well, then it means I can't do it. And then he's like, yeah, but you can't do it. I'm like, yeah, but Rick, I can't go there. Because to me, it was like the house of cards that would come tumbling down. I really believed for a long time, if I admitted to myself, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I think of that Marine Corps slogan that, you know, battles are lost in the mind. So I was so gung ho about as long as I believe I can do it, I can do it as long as I, and to me asking for help was challenging that belief that I couldn't. And that was really Mm -hmm. faulty thinking for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And it's not even that I, and I'm with you on that. And it's not even that I couldn't do it. It's I'm giving myself the opportunity to not, fix this. So I had this back talk that, you know, it doesn't matter what everyone else says. You really need to be the one doing this. And that's, I don't need to be the one doing everything in my world. I don't ever. And I don't have to anymore. I I have a tremendous support system. But when you're feeling out of control, doesn't it feel good to control things? Yeah. Yeah. course we think it does you think it does but it does i mean rob you know we were on a show uh prior to this um if you guys want to check it out it's the show on beliefs um you were talking about when you were sick with cancer and you organizing things because to me organizing and controlling you know the potato potato for most of us (laughs) yeah yeah you know, that helped you feel in control enough to do what you needed to do, which ironically enough was rest. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, whatever enables you is what you need to uh, take on. If, if, if creating a, a calendar for the kids to follow or your husband to follow or your care people, if they're it, like when I had uh, mom, there was just so many things I needed to make sure were taken care of. Organizing it lifted that burden. And I knew that part of my life I was in control of and I could let that go so that I could focus on things at the time of my health. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing too. Like as I got older and the kids got more self-sufficient, um, I started spending more time taking care of myself because I was breaking down. I could see it. I could see the weight going on. I could see my hair falling out. I could see my, you know, I had like 40 year old acne, like, and it wasn't the hormones. I wasn't even close to being menopause. It was the stress. And I took these yoga classes, you guys, and I did a whole year's worth of yoga. And I bet you I did two downward dogs because I would lay in the back and you can ask Kathy, it was Iyengar yoga and she would cover me with a blanket and I'd nap for an hour and a half. And I would literally just lay in the back of the classroom. She'd wake me up when it's over. And that's what you needed. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because I was like hanging upside down one time and I started feeling really dizzy. I'm like, Kath, I'm just going to lay in the back and... I'm curious, Sandra, with your boys being teenagers, do you see them taking on your healthier behaviors now? Oh, yeah. Or leaning into... Oh, my God. When they were little, my kids are like... Hey, yeah, you want to load me up on some Diet Coke? I got a spelling <laughs> test tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was awful when, you know, kids are mirrors. Oh, God. And they reflect back to you your most horrible things. I had a third grader that said, oh, fuck a duck. Like, <laughs> He got that from me. You know, I, I have an addiction issue with soda and my other one. And, you know, and I was honest with him. I'm like, look, you know, your mom has a problem. Every day at 4.30, I have to have a Diet Coke. And he's like, oh, tell me about it. Like, <laughs> And I did. When I switched to um, water and I switched to going to the gym instead of my more self-defeating behaviors of Fritos and dip and, you know, cupcakes and all those, you know, wonderful treats, um, yeah. I mean, they, they are. And, and, you know, the nice thing is Kimberly, my older son will go to the gym with me almost every day. Like he goes, mom, what time are you going? I'm like, well, I teach spin at this time or I do this, whatever. Or I'm taking this Zumba class. He's like, all right, I'm there. And it's really nice. I mean, we don't like sit next to each other and, you know, do these things, but he works out in his area. I work out in mine. And then Zach, he goes to his dance class. So, you know, like, yeah, I mean, we are, we do our shakes in the morning and Thank God, finally, I don't have one meal for my dad, one meal for my younger one, one meal for my older one, and one meal for me, because that was, that was really challenging. I had two um, kids with health issues and my dad with health issues at one point, and I couldn't find a meal that could feed all four of us. Yeah, it, it, I look back and I, my parents gave me a lot of really good direction with their poor parenting. Um, <laughs> But I, like you said, it's the mirror. I look at the issues I created in my life health-wise had everything to do with what was modeled, not what I was told, but what was modeled in my world. You know, it's like, there's no surprise. Like I will buy uh, these German chocolate bars. I buy chocolate chip cookies and I hide them and Skittles. Skittles are the, my like downfall. Like if I'm going to write a book, I need to have Skittles. And my kids are like heat seeking missiles and they're looking around the house cause they know I have it hidden somewhere. And then they find my stash. And then I don't realize they found my stash until I go to look for it. Like who ate my chocolate? <laughs> yeah. And they do the same coping things. I mean, hands down, Kimberly, absolutely. They're little mirrors. I think it's funny. My daughter now married has a house, her own home. And um, so many times when she was young, she'd be so frustrated at me. Oh, mom. Oh, mom. You know, the teenage rolled eyes. And now I, last time I was down at her house, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just watching myself <laughs> in that, in her, in everything that I, she would fuss about me and whatever. She's doing it now. I mean, yeah. Yep. It's just, yep. Yeah. You, she's turned into her mother. 
Well, yeah, and I'm always like, you know, like, what would my mom do? I'm like, hell if I know. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. You know, it's, it's it, you know, these kids come out and you're supposed to figure it out. Like, and so much of it is on the fly and, you know, I'm not a fly girl. So I will just kind of mimic, I'll go to Pinterest, I'll go to YouTube and then I'll think, okay, what would my mom do? You know, they kept us alive. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all good. But I think, you know, the beliefs, like your beliefs change as you get more confident. You know, I'm actually working with four or five newly single moms with younger children. And they're like, Rob, you'll die when you hear they say this. They're like, oh, Sandra, you're so confident. You have the answer for everything. And I'm like, (laughs) you should have seen the days you could mop the floor with my head. You are the beacon now. There, when I was sick, there was a woman who was beyond all of it, and she was my beacon. Yep. When I needed to get through what I needed to get through, I looked ahead at what my future was going to be, and I focused on that beacon. I didn't focus on the trouble. I fe- focused on the beacon. And you now have been through it all. You are their beacon because they need the help to get through what they need to and they've got to focus on something and you are there for them shocking isn't it it is but you're there and what better person than you well, I don't know about sure. that, but I can teach you to swear like a sailor, you know, how to feed your kid Mountain Dew to keep him awake. Because I used to give my kids, when I would fly to New York, you guys, and then, you know, like, it's just awful. I got to wrap up the show, but I'm going to leave you with this little tidbit. If you are getting on a long flight with your children and they're really young and it's just you and it's a long flight, starve them. Don't give them anything to eat. Then give them some Mountain Dew right before you get on the long car ride to the airport. Watch them just go bananas. <laughs> and on takeoff, hand them a sippy cup and a bottle of milk. And you're home free from L.A. to New York. Six and a half hours. Worked every single time. No drugs. They'd exhaust themselves. It was like the Screaming Baby Express to the airport. And if they would scream, I'd play the music louder. Because that would make them even madder. And I needed them to exhaust themselves. Because there's nothing worse than chasing two toddlers by yourself with luggage in JFK. Yeah. Yeah. There you have it. There you go. Believe you can. Love it. And you can. Kimberly Rinaldi, Robin Boyd, thank you for a great show today. We'll be back again next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.